Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm feeling fine. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yep, I'm doing okay. Yay. So we have a couple of, I know uh, um, listeners will have heard that we are, we're getting near the end now. We're close to the end of, of this summer of SCOTUS. I'm glad you clarified because you went ahead and paused with. I did. I'm like, we're near the end. That's how the end. And I'm like, wow, that's rather apocalyptic. Exactly. The zombies are at the door. Um, so we, but we have a couple of things that we want to talk about. And the first thing that I want to ask you about um, uh, for this episode, actually, we're just going to, I think, focus on McGirt, right? Yes. McGirt versus Oklahoma. Yep. And so I have to tell you that the only way that I knew about this case before I mentioned it to you, and of course you were erudite and knew all the actual details, but what I had heard was people's hair falling out in clumps saying, oh my gosh, this completely changes the entire justice system in Oklahoma and everything's going to fall apart and we're all going to die. And I thought, I bet that's not true. So that's not true, is it? No, that, that's slightly hyperbolic. <laughs> slightly? <laughs> You think? Okay, so what's the deal with the case? Okay, so uh, uh, what you had with uh, the McGirt case um, was uh, McGirt had been uh, charged by the state of Oklahoma uh, for uh, a series of of um, uh, sex crimes, and um, uh, he went ahead and argued that. Um, uh, Per uh, a treaty in the 19th century, okay, um, the state of Oklahoma did not have jurisdiction to try him uh, because he's a member of the Creek Native American uh, uh, tribe, okay? Um, and um, he went ahead and argued that even when Congress uh, admitted Oklahoma as one of the 50 states, um, Congress had failed to uh, repudiate the previous treaty. Now, this was an issue that actually arose for the United States Supreme Court in its previous term. So we're basically talking about the 2018-2019 term and the Murphy case. But apparently the justices split four to four, and Justice Gorsuch uh, had to recuse himself because in the Murphy case, he actually participated in it uh, when he was serving on the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals. So the Supreme Court took the McGirt case to basically address the same question. And the question was basically this, okay? Um, did the state of Oklahoma have the authority to try uh, McGirt um, or any other member of the Creek Nation for violating state law? And the court said no, okay? Um, that 
McGirt could only be tried by the federal government for the offenses of, you know, uh, 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 sex crime offenses, okay? So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I raised my hand. The listeners yep. can't see that, but I raised my hand. <laughs> I have a question. Okay, so it's not just that he's Creek. It's that it's reservation land, right? It's Yeah, you're, you're so talking. Even if he were not Creek, there are different rules for tribal lands than there are for county lands or state lands, right, yeah. or city lands. Tribal yeah. lands are their own, they have their own judicial system, right? Yeah, you're talking about basically the issue of who's got jurisdiction. Okay, so yeah. if, even if he had not been a member of the Creek Nation, he did that on, on what they were saying is Creek property. Yeah, the, it's part of the Creek Reservation as established uh, in by... In mumbly mumbly. Yeah, yeah, by uh, uh, a treaty in the 19th century, okay? I mean, because basically the Creek Nation was one of those Native American tribes that were forced from their homelands in the Trail of Tears, and they were sent to what we now call uh, uh, the jurisdiction or state of Oklahoma. But what McGirt argued is... I was tried improperly... Yes. Because I wasn't tried by tribal... Yeah, by the Creek Nation. Okay. Because the Creek Nation has jurisdiction where the crimes allegedly were committed. Okay. okay. And that's why I tell my students all the time, you know, where you commit a crime, okay, determines which government has jurisdiction, which court system has jurisdiction. Yeah, because if you if you murder someone in a which I would suggest you don't murder anyone ever, but if you do it in a in a federal <laughs> park, right? Like if you do it in Yosemite, that's a federal crime. Like that's not going to be tried by the state. That's, that's going to be tried by the federal government. That's right. Similarly, if you murder someone in Washington D.C., that's right. That's federal property. That's a federal crime, as opposed to if you murdered someone in Richmond, where the it's a locality. Richmond is its own locality, not federal property, not currently anyway. Well, um, I mean, it, 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 and you can take that even one step further, Nia. Which local government jurisdiction within the Commonwealth of Virginia can actually try you for a crime? Because the U.S. Constitution says you may only be indicted for a crime in the jurisdiction where you committed the crime. So there's a huge difference, for instance, if you're charged for murder in the city of Richmond or in Northern Virginia versus Southwest or Southside Virginia, right? Okay. Okay, you, you understand the point here, right? right. So, so. And, and that's extremely important because you have different laws, you have different, if you will, of prosecutors, you have different juries, you may even have different judges. So when I give the example of, again, if you were to commit murder and which we're not- we, Which we strongly suggest you don't. Yes, we're not encouraging the commission of murder. Okay, let's be very clear. And we're not trying to tell you how to get away with it. Yes. However, if you were to commit murder in Virginia and you wanted to avoid getting the death sentence, it would be far better to commit 
a murder up in Northern Virginia, where prosecutors are less likely to one, charge you with capital murder, and juries are less likely to even give that sentence than if you were to commit a similar crime in Southwest Virginia, where prosecutors are more likely to charge you with, okay, capital murder, and juries are more likely to give you that sentence. I'm going to say that if you were a murderer and you took all that into account, <laughs> you that would be extraordinary. On every level possible, that would be extraordinary. Like there would be something so wrong with you, we just couldn't fix it in this world. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but so not only is he Creek, but where he committed the crimes yes. is under, under Creek jurisdiction. Yes, that, he says. Yeah, that's what and, he that that's what he claimed. And the Supremes say, "We agree with you, McGirt." Aha. Okay, yes. so they upheld yep. the the fact that the treaty was not properly dissolved. That's right. They went ahead and said uh, that uh, the you know the land in in basically northeastern eastern Oklahoma. Um, has uh, been reserved for the Creek Nation since the, since the 19th century. Um, and that means that uh, unless the federal government wants to charge him for those crimes, okay, it's, you know, the state of Oklahoma cannot bring charges against him. But... But that doesn't mean that the Creek Nation can't bring charges against him. Yeah, right. Yeah, technically, the, the tribe can do yes. that now. Okay, and and the federal government can do that, right? Because all land is federal land at some level, right? No, not necessarily. No. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, and remember, the Constitution prohibits. Uh, oh, oh, that little pesky states' rights things. Never mind. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Again, you know, we've talked about this in previous podcast episodes. Historically, uh, the police power of government is reserved to the states in this country. Okay? So unless the feds can go ahead and tie it to, okay, some explicit provision um, in Article One, And by the way, Article One gives the United States Congress free reign to do whatever they want with Native Americans. I mean, the majority opinion in this case, okay, makes that very clear. Even though they ruled in favor of McGirt, the majority opinion written by Justice Gorsuch, and by the way, the vote was a little unusual in this case. It was five to four, but it was Gorsuch plus the four liberals. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little odd. Usually it's John Roberts plus the four liberals. That's right. If anybody's going to splinter. But Gorsuch has an independent streak. Okay. And that's where his, if you will, textualist methodology. Okay. Because remember, it was Gorsuch who wrote the majority opinion in the Bostock case. Right. Okay. Where he went ahead and said the definition of sex has to include, okay, gay and transgendered employees, okay? Um, and here, he's a textualist. I mean, he made it very clear. If nothing else, Congress was sloppy. 
Congress, when they admitted Oklahoma, should have explicitly said all previous treaties, okay, uh, regarding Native Americans within what will be the jurisdiction of the state of Oklahoma are now considered null and void. But Congress never did. And Gorsuch and held can I... accountable. Yep, Gorsuch held Congress accountable. Well, I, I like that, first of all. But also, it's an interesting question given um, the time we're living in. Yes. That, um, that they didn't even think that they had to address the Native American question. Yes. We can simply do with you what we want oh, without regard to any previous agreements we might have made, any previous treaties we might have made, any land we might have ceded you. We're, we just can ignore all that because what are you going to do about it? Like, the, you know what I mean? There's a very, uh, there's a, there's a not even remotely subtle racism in that, in the idea that, that you can say, we just don't even have to address any promises we've made this group. Well, Gorsuch's majority opinion, Nia, to, to that point, Gorsuch's majority opinion and the main dissent, which was written by Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, both admit and chronicle all the ways the U.S. federal government in particular, but to a certain extent, even the state of Oklahoma, have ignored or broken existing legal arguments with the Creek Nation or other Native American tribes in this country. I mean, there, there, there was no escaping what you just mentioned, which is that historically, okay, governments in the United States um, were racist in regards to Native Americans, okay? Well, they lied, okay, they bribed them, they made explicit promises and they broke them. Um, I mean, there's a, a long-standing federal court case where the Department of Interior is supposed to manage all the royalties for all of the natural resources that have been mined on Native American tribes. And the federal government, okay, I think it was as far back as the Clinton administration has acknowledged in federal court, they don't know where all that money's gone. They just screwed the tribes out of their money. They screwed yes. them out of their land. Yes. Their, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, I, so I like that he's basically saying the time for that is over. Yes. The, the time for being able to just jack people that, in that way is is it, we're, it is no longer acceptable, and you're going to need to clean it up. And one of the arguments made by Oklahoma was that because, uh the Congress and the state of Oklahoma has basically treated the Creek Nation as though it was part of the state of Oklahoma, that that was the effect, okay, the practice, okay, basically, you know, if you will, set up what the law meant. And Gorsuch said no. In fact, according to Gorsuch, that's the definition of lawlessness. I, I like that. I like that yes. phrase. I saw that in your notes that, that the definition of lawlessness is exactly ignoring the law. Yeah. <laughs> ignoring the law. Like, no, no. In the dictionary, right here under ignoring the law, it says lawlessness, right? Like that's uh, yes. thesaurus, actually. Yes. Um, so I, 
I did he use the word sloppy? Please tell me he did. No, he didn't. But oh. it, but it was abundantly clear in at least two sections of his majority opinion. Okay, that he was taking Congress to task. Okay. So is there anything that Congress can do now? Oh yeah, Congress could go ahead and pass alter that. Yeah, Congress could pass a law tomorrow, Nia, and say um, uh, we are ceding all land that was previously given to the Creek Nation in blah, blah, blah treaty. We're giving it to the state of Oklahoma. Is there any yeah. chance of that? No. 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 Okay. I mean, there's, there's very little chance. Okay. Good, because that would be terrible. Oh yeah, I mean, that, that would be a that would be a a, a, a rubbing of salt in the wound of this injustice. Yes, right. You know, uh, I mean, you know, according to scholars, um, this is one of the very few Supreme Court decisions that ever came down in favor of Native Americans. I mean, historically, the Supreme Court will just go ahead and say. That is, you know, Congress has the authority to do whatever they want to to Native Americans, um, and that's an ex enumer explicit enumerated power the framers gave to the Congress. And we're not going to get involved in that kind of political dispute. But this was one of the rare times where a narrow majority of the court, and by the way, I, I got I to think that the, the four liberals, okay, wanted to go so much further than Gorsuch, but Gorsuch was just like, uh-uh. We have an existing treaty that was never, okay, uh, overturned, repudiated by Congress. So we're going to hold Congress, okay, accountable. Boom. Done. That's it. Okay? Right. This get doesn't get into the, to the moral questions or the ethical no. questions. No. It just gets into the technicalities of the law. No. You never stopped having that treaty, so you still have that treaty. Yes. It's, it's um, aren't we still at war with someone? I can't remember. Well, like we have a declared war that we didn't, or it took us years and years and years to end. Sure. Because we didn't, we just never said we're done with that war. I can't remember what war it is now. So it's, it's one of the big ones. But anyway, somebody was telling me the other day, yeah, we're technically still at war with, it's like, it's like, Korea or, you know, World well, I mean, War II yeah, yeah. or something. It's some well, I mean, in terms of the, uh, the Korean War, uh, because there has not been uh, a, a treaty to uh, effectively end that war per the United Nations, okay, uh, we're still obligated to go ahead and defend the DMZ, the, uh, the Miller type. Oh, that's zone, it. Okay. Um, this is what happens to you when you don't do your paperwork. Yes. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't do the paperwork. This is what happens when you don't, when you fail to say, wait, is there any paperwork we should clean up before we create the state of Oklahoma? Somebody should have looked around and said, oh yeah, I got this treaty document. We probably ought to look into that. And instead they just said, we don't care about the Native Americans. Oh, We're yeah. going to declare Oklahoma a state because that's what. Yeah, because. Uh, uh, that's what we want to do, and then we just do it. What was it? Oklahoma was admitted into the Union, what, in 1907, I think? I don't know. Let me check. Nia's looking that up right now as we actually. 
We have real-time Google searching going on. That's right. We have real-time reference checking. Oh, 1907, November 16th, 1907. And it, so Congress not ending the treaty, I mean, definitely reflected the attitude of members of Congress at that time, that we don't have to go ahead and, you know, publicly, you know, even give Native Americans the respect of, you know, saying... Of tearing up the treaty. <laughs> yeah, we're screwing you, okay? No. Right. Right. Yeah, right? I mean, in the law, that's almost like the, the worst form of disrespect. We think so little of you that we're not going to officially go ahead and say what we are doing to you today, which is effectively, okay, going back on a treaty that was supposed to govern your relationship with, you know, between the nation and the federal government. Right. That's how little they thought of the Creek Nation. Well, indifference is the most cruel emotion. Yeah. I'm like, just, yes. oh, I didn't even think of you. Like, wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd rather you say, I thought of you and didn't care than I didn't think of you at all, right? Like, yeah. that those are two very different things. So, uh, yeah, and the hier hierarchy here, ambivalence at least is better than indifference. Right. Because, you know, indifference is, yeah, I thought so little of you, I didn't even think of you. Ambivalence says, yes, I at least thought of you, but still went ahead and chose to, you know, harm you. Yeah, right. but I didn't care. I thought yeah. of you, but I didn't care. Yes, right. So, so now, but see, so the, the hand wringing and the hair clumping that I was mentioning at the very beginning of the episode, what people said was that's going to overturn every single no. case that's ever been held in Oklahoma and it's the end of justice in Oklahoma and this guy's going to get off scot-free. None of that is true, right? No, I mean, because the reality is those Native Americans who've been prosecuted by the state of Oklahoma may file suits, particularly in federal court, claiming habeas corpus violations, the writ of habeas corpus violations. But most federal judges are going to go ahead and say, okay, but you can't go ahead and claim that when the entire criminal justice system in the state of Oklahoma relied upon this accepted wisdom. You're going to have to go ahead and show that Oklahoma knew that it was violating this treaty when they prosecuted you. Good luck with demonstrating that. Okay, and it's not just Native Americans, right? it's any crime that happened on tribal property. Yes, but again, the Creek Nation, okay, uh, uh, um, is, has been in negotiations for the last couple years with the state of Oklahoma about how to go, how to go about, if you will, establishing um, uh, a legal cooperation between the state and the Creek Nation. Okay, because so it's not like they're just, they're suddenly declaring themselves lawless and come here and commit crimes and like, no, they're, they're, they're I'm, fully part integrated into, or at least trying to integrate the two systems together. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, the, the, the Creek Nation doesn't want, you know, rampant lawlessness to occur right. in that area, okay, you know, they're concerned about the public health and safety of, of, of if, if you will, of, of the members of the nation. Okay. Okay. Uh, likewise. Okay. You know, 
sure, the Creek Nation effectively now has jurisdiction over roughly the eastern half of what used to be the state of Oklahoma. On the other hand, is the Creek Nation capable of managing all of that? Probably not. Right. Okay. They're going to need assistance. Okay. Right. They certainly at this point do not have the infrastructure for that. Even if they could slowly build up to it, that's not something you do the next day after this ruling comes out. No. So there are incentives for both the state and the Creek Nation to negotiate in good faith. Right. Right. Um, and in, 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 in likewise, you know, According to uh, various laws passed by Congress, major crimes that occur on uh, Native American reserva reservation lands still may be prosecuted in federal court, okay? So if you're the Creek Nation, do you want individuals on lands that you now have jurisdiction, do you want them to go ahead and be indicted in federal court? Or would you prefer state court? <laughs> okay. I mean, because, you know, federal courts are not always, uh, shall we say, more lenient than state courts. Okay. I mean, a lot of it depends on who's running the executive branch. Okay. When a crime is committed. Okay. So, I mean, these are all very complicated legal issues. So when I was hearing all of the sky is falling, you know, type of, you know, teeth gnashing, oh my goodness, the Supreme, I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we're, we're, we're not talking about a return to, you know, the Wild West where nobody knows who's in charge here, right? Right. There are legitimate interests, okay, of the Creek Nation, the state of Oklahoma, and the federal government to work this out, Right. Right. And, and, there, and there are significant, if you will, business and commercial interests in working this out. Yeah, you, um, so in, in the notes, so I know that listeners know that Augie often makes notes for me because complications, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, cases are somewhat Byzantine occasionally. You, <laughs> you did mention that the city of Tulsa. Yes. In, is now in the Creek Nation. Yes. Yes. Um, which I would say, so one of the hand-wringy thing things that I heard was that the Creek Nation could now declare itself a state separate from Oklahoma. And I know they can't do that for a variety of reasons, right? There's, you don't just become a state because you want to. Um, and ask Texas, you can't just leave when you feel like it. Right? Like there, there's... Um, there are, there are rules to be followed, but also all the people living in Tulsa don't want to necessarily be in another country. And they would be like, wait, what? No, I don't want to, or, or another state, you know, no, I'm a, I'm an Oklahoman, right? I yes. was born in Oklahoma. I've raised in Oklahoma. So the hand wringiness, I think it needs to stop, but you mentioned something else, which I found like, oh, I was very excited. And I know that um, listeners can't see me, but my fingers are doing that Dr. Evil thing where they're, yeah, um, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm tapping them against each other because isn't that where a huge amount of the oil in Oklahoma is found? Yes. Uh, a huge amount of the oil and natural gas produced in the state of Oklahoma and processed by refineries 
in Oklahoma is in the eastern part of the state, which according to the Supreme Court ruling is still technically the jurisdiction of the Creek Nation. So the taxes from that, from those businesses and the leasing rights and all that other stuff, all of that can now financially benefit the, the Creek, Creek Nation. Nation. That's right. So I, I assume that Oklahoma is sweating just a little bit. Well, let's just put it this well, way. Let's make a negotiation. Aren't we friends? Let's be friends. Well, let's, let's all get along because yes. that's a huge amount of state income, I would assume. Yes. I mean, and, and let's just put it this way. If oh, the state, if, and I don't know because, you know, I'm not a native of Oklahoma, but let's just say theoretically, hypothetically, if the state of Oklahoma was dragging its feet in negotiating with the Creek Nation before this ruling, that, you know, that kind of feet dragging isn't going to work anymore. I mean, because the Creek Nation now has significantly significant leverage, right? Yeah. Um, and again, the Creek Nation doesn't have the infrastructure to go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, tax all the businesses and ensure all the royalties are flowing to the Creek Nation. Okay, they're gonna ha they're gonna need help with this, right? So you know, it's not like the Creek Nation is gonna go ahead and say, nah, 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 nah. Okay, you need enough, <laughs> right? We get all the money, go away. Okay, because they have no way to administer. Yes, and they're gonna want those businesses to continue to make money. Right. Okay, but also pay. Okay, for the rights. Okay, for, you know, all of that, all those natural resources, right? And again, you know, that's something, you know, that states historically do. What do we have a resource that other people are willing to pay money for, that businesses are willing to go ahead and manufacture and, you know, sell, sell, uh, sell and, distri uh, and distribute across, you know, the country or the world? Okay, well, now that's in the jurisdiction of the Creek Nation. So do you think what we'll probably see is some sort of 50-50 split or 60-40 split? Like they'll say, the state will say, we will continue to administer the, these kinds of things, right? We'll continue to do that, but we will increase the cut. Or I don't even know if there was a cut, but I assume there was some agreement. Um, <clears throat> although I'm saying that optimistically, there may have been no agreement. But they might say, we'll do that, but it's going to, but we want the lion's share of the, of the profit because we are doing the administering. I don't know if Oklahoma would be, would be able to go ahead and say, we're going to get the lion's share or the bulk. Um, it, it, it might be an administration fee. I mean, because right now the leverage it's basically with the rests with the Greek nation. Okay. Right? Um, but there are a lot of incentives um, for an agreement to be reached. And by the way, this will, have to, this will be an agreement that will have to be ratified by Congress. Okay? Really? Why? Again, who, which level of government, okay, controls, okay, the nation's relationship with the Native American tribes? the federal government, particularly the United States Congress. Yes. Bureau of Indian Affairs. Okay, yes. Is it still called Indian Affairs? 
or have we changed that to Native American affairs? I think it's still Indian affairs, but you know, we hey, should, I would we not look into that. Yeah, we, yeah, it would not surprise me if um, you know, with uh, the rather significant changes that are being made currently in this country, that uh, the name of that particular federal government agency changes. But I mean, think about this, Nia. Um, Congress still has to ratify the recognition of Native American tribes in states. I mean, we've seen this in Virginia, what, in the last four or five years? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yes. But Congress had to pass a law, okay, recognizing certain Native American tribes that have been in existence in the Commonwealth of Virginia for centuries. Right. We were here the whole time. But you go ahead and pretend we just arrived and you're going to recognize us. Yes, but with that recognition also comes certain benefits, okay, um, that are written into federal law, okay? So, you know, was, it, was the ruling a shock? Yes. Are there potentially huge ramifications? Yes. On the other hand, I would caution, okay, people on both sides, those who were in favor of the Supreme Court ruling or those who were against it. Hey, wait a minute here. Typically in this kind of situation, cooler heads prevail, okay? And individuals, okay, who are gonna want a functioning government system to operate, okay, in the Eastern half of what used to be the state of Oklahoma, okay, will more than likely sit down and say, okay, how do we make this work? Okay. Because right. we want Oklahoma's borders to, to stay the same because otherwise it gets really confusing with the other square states about who, <laughs> where their edges are. <laughs> right? Like, and map makers everywhere are like, no, 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 no. We just got this, like, no, no. We've, we've surveyed it. We know where things are. No, I'm, I kid. Um, but wait, 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 but wait. It, it is unlikely that the state of Oklahoma will suddenly stop having borders the way it has them. Yeah. It's unlikely that Tulsa will suddenly be something else. It's yeah. all going to still be Oklahoma. People need to not wring their hands. There are some things that are going to change, but a lot of those things are for the better. Recognizing the Creek Nation, recognizing their rights, that's huge. That's huge for other tribes in other parts of the nation. We yes. are also going to see some of this, even when their treaties have been revoked, there's some question about the fairness of that and the ethics of that, right? So there's, so this is, I think, in in a lot of ways, a very positive oh, yeah. um, step yeah. forward. And I think it's it's great that the liberals were like, let's let Gorsuch write this, right? Like, yeah. there will be a lot less complaining if the one who crossed over is the one who writes it. And he chose to write something that sounds like it doesn't talk about the morals and the ethics and the time in which we live. It talks about straight up, no, no, you can't make a treaty with people and then not, and then not acknowledge the treaty. Like that's, that's oh, yeah. not okay. It's just not fair play. Yeah, Nia, Gorsuch's majority opinion kept on coming back to this idea that we're a nation of laws. And if we don't follow the language of the law- Why then Yes, you know, that's the definition of lawlessness, okay? Right. Um, and, and, and you're right. Um, the way the vote sh uh, uh, shook, uh, uh, came out, um, uh, Ginsburg would have been the senior 
uh, senior most associate justice. So she would have had to decide, decided to give Gorsuch the majority opinion. And I think it was very smart on her part to give Gorsuch the majority opinion. Because let's just say, for instance, she had given it to herself or one of the uh, three other liberals on the court. And they talked about morality and ethics and the long history of how uh, the American federal government and state government, okay, broke all their promises to Native Americans, right? That would be judicial activism. Okay, and Gorsuch would have written a concurring opinion, which would have called into doubt all of that written in the majority. Instead, okay, we have a clear majority opinion that says, okay, if the United States Congress has not repudiated a treaty, okay, with a Native American tribe, guess what? The treaty still holds even today. Boom, done. Thank you for coming to the ballpark. Right? So I imagine that lawyers everywhere are checking all the other treaties. Oh yes. <laughs> to see if they have been yes. if they have been properly removed because yes. if they haven't, there this could have a carry-on effect. It could have a carry-on yes. effect though, right? This is a big precedent in that yes. sense. Um, in real, in reality, it's going to affect finances more than it's going to affect anything else, right? As taxes and and the and the natural resources, um, that's going to be the biggest effect of it in in on the ground. But the great, but a greater carry-on effect may be that they find out, oh, turns out we didn't take care of the Utes, we didn't take care of like name a tribe in the West where we just ignored it and accepted the state. Yes without without dealing with that and that's gonna oh i'm sure people everywhere are like can i have the treaty of blah 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 i'd like to know if it's still in effect <laughs> um, so which is great i mean that's that also will will help settle that like if those treaties have been dissolved then that will be a known thing that will be yes. established and a known thing and the question of whether it's ethical or moral is a separate question that we would settle politically anyway, or should settle politically. Politically, anyway. yes. Um, yep. So I like that Gorsuch stuck to, the, stuck to the, no, no, here's the law. The law is if you sign a treaty and then nobody ever tears it up or says, never mind, then it's still a treaty. Like, yeah, that's it, sort of the way treaties work. It's like the way IOUs work. If I write you an IOU and we never resolve the IOU, then I still owe you that money. Yes, yes. And, and, and for those of us who follow the court, um, or, you know, uh, uh, you know, think about how important, for instance, it was that Gorsuch, who's basically spent most of his life out West, okay, uh, how important his role was on the court, okay? Um, you know, because... Yeah. You mentioned that, that he's one of the few justices that's he's a Western. That has lived in the West. I didn't realize that. I never realized that there are really a lot of East Coast folks on the Supreme Is that always been true of the Supreme Court? Has it always been sort of? It's been dominated by people who've lived on the East Coast. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, very few... I mean, uh, we had a period in the uh, 80s and 90s when we had both O'Connor and Rehnquist uh, who were from Arizona. Occasionally, we've had justices from California. 
but historically, the Supreme Court has been dominated by uh, East Coast, but in particular, Northeast, okay, uh, Northeasterners. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll explore that sometime because that would have a huge effect, I would think, on how you see a lot of different issues. That's right. Okay. That's a, we need a broader cultural mix. I mean, clearly he's brought yes. a point of view to this that, that the others didn't have for whatever reason, probably because they didn't, they didn't live in it. Yeah, I, they, didn't, I didn't understand water rights until I lived in Utah. And now I'm like, oh, it's a thing. Like, because in the East, it's not a thing. We don't have water rights issues the same way no. that they have in the Western states and that it is life or death in the Western states. Like your, your farm, your ranch doesn't go if you don't have water. I didn't understand any of that till I lived out West and I didn't do that till I was an adult. So I can see where it would bring, it and would that's, bring a different perspective. And that's why Nia, when, for instance, I teach courts and politics and I ask students, do you think presidents should take into account, okay, non-talent, non-merit issues with, uh, uh, in the selection of, or the, the nomination of a justice? A lot of times students are like, no, it should be the most talented people. I'm like, okay, wait a minute here, okay? Who defines talent? Yeah, one, you know, there is the myth of merit, okay? Right. Because let's face it, okay, um, you know, scholars can identify maybe a handful of justices who had no business, no business serving on the Supreme Court because they weren't all that talented, but most of them, by and large, were smart people. Right. Okay. But, but plenty of smart people don't go to Harvard. Yes. Okay. And plenty of smart people shouldn't serve on a small decision-making body like the court. Okay. Right. Okay, they just, you know, that's that's not their their niche, right? right. That's not the environment. Not strong suit. Yeah, right. But how do you go ahead and make sure, for instance, that you know the interests of people who live out in the West might get reflected or considered on the court? How do you go ahead and make sure that, for instance, religious or non-religious people, okay, um, have their interests, okay, considered on the court? Okay, African-Americans, women, Hispanics, Asian-Americans, right? I mean, these are all legitimate concerns because you get the right case with a justice who quite clearly, Gorsuch, okay, knew his stuff here. When you read his majority opinion, you're like, wow, this guy knows this stuff, right? Well, because these are real issues in his world that he's dealt with as yes. a judge. Yeah, right, okay. Um, They're not theoretical. Yeah, he's, he's ruled in cases. Yeah, right. You know, so, you know, uh, uh, when I teach constitutional law and we talk about federalism and how federalism kind of sort of got resurrected in the late 1980s, early 1990s on the Supreme Court, I said, think about the influence of Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, okay, who actually served in the Arizona State Legislature, okay, and served on the Arizona State Supreme Court. These were important issues to her because, okay, in part, okay, she lived those, those issues professionally. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, these weren't, you know, theoretical issues. 
These were issues she dealt with on the job. I think she was Senate Majority Leader for the Arizona State Legislature for a number of years. This is a person who knows how to go ahead and deal with state issues. She gets on the Supreme Court and she shows a lot of interest in federalism. Not a, not a big surprise, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing to take note of here, uh, and, 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 and again, this is just kind of sort of fascinating to me, is how the Supreme Court, okay, understood that it was an important enough issue to, to, to where they, in the Murphy case, went ahead and said, okay, we're not gonna hand down a ruling, okay? And, and by the way, they didn't go ahead and say, we affirm the lower court's ruling. They went ahead and said, okay, we're going to re-argue re the case, or they didn't come to a conclusion on it because they knew they were going to take a similar case. They issued the ruling in McGirt, and then like a few days later, went ahead and told the lower court, now you settle the Murphy case, okay, in accordance with what we ruled in McGirt, <laughs> right? I was just like, this is like fascinating stuff. Like, this is a government body that was just like, hey, wait a minute here. We know this is an important case. We need to address it. Is there a similar case, i.e. McGirt, to where we can look at this, right? I mean, right. that's- and, and Gorsuch couldn't do the other one because he had ruled on it. He, in the lower court. So right, he had to, he had, he had to recuse himself, okay. Yes, right? So they were like, no, no, we need all nine of us. Yes, right? So let's find a case, okay, that one, and once yes. we rule on that, then that will carry over everything else. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty clever. I, yeah. Although it's what's fascinating to me is I wonder when they did that if Roberts thought it would go a different way. Well, I mean, in in, in, in hindsight, twenty twenty, as we've discussed about this year, um, that that yeah. he, I mean, it, if it, he it, thought he was going to get a different ruling. Well, you know, Nia, that you know, remember our conversation in listeners. Uh, if you've gone to the episode uh, where we talk about the, the Supreme Court um, uh, granting uh, uh, cert writs, writs right. of sorcery, right? Earlier in this season. Yeah, uh, the summer of SCOTUS, right? Uh, what is it, the, the, the second or third one, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the living in a pandemic, and we're very empathetic for all of our listeners, if the days blend for you guys, it's certainly just blend for us, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Today because, is Blur's day. Yes, right? Like it just is whichever. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, Nia and I will start talking about future you know, podcast episodes and we're like, have we touched upon that issue? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-oh. That might be out of our, sorry. Yes, It's right? coming or it was already. Sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like, um, I don't know if you know Doctor Who. Yes. But he always says that his, his life, his life works out time-wise differently than everybody else because he flits back and forth in time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, feel free to look that up on Google. Um, but in but a previous anyway. podcast episode that I know is available <laughs> to you all, right? Because I've, I've actually listened to it, right? Okay. We, talk about, uh, we talked about the Supreme Court's rule of four, right? And four justices have to agree to hear a case. Right. But we talked at length about how strategic it is. Right. Because if you vote to take a case, you're kind of sort of 
hoping, projecting that a majority of the court is going to vote in the way you want them to. But if you don't know for sure, do you actually vote to take a case? Because right. once the Supreme Court rules, then it's it sets a precedent. Well, right? and this set a huge precedent. Oh I mean, my goodness, is, yes. This right? is enormous. Yes. So, yeah, so it's interesting. I wonder if, if John Roberts, when this came out, if he laid in bed that night and went, oh, that was a mistake. You know, well, I mean, like, or if he thought, nope, that's how, I don't know. I like to think that John Roberts, I don't know him, obviously, but I like to think that he, that he thought, well, that's how it, that's how it plays out. Like sometimes, yes. you know, he, I think has the long view of things where he knows that sometimes he's not going to get necessarily what he wants, but that over the arc of his career, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to be, he wants to protect the institution. And part of the institution is independence. It's Gorsuch saying, hey, I appreciate that you think I'm a conservative justice, but in this particular instance, I'm, I'm snuggling up with Ginsburg, metaphorically. Um, <laughs> uh, I doubt physically. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's, that's what's so great about, we've, we've mentioned it several times, but that's so great about the court is that the, the justices say, yeah, yeah, you think I'm conservative, but in this particular instance, the conservative view is to do the thing that most people think is liberal. And right, that's, the conservative view is to look at the law and say, no, that treaty was never dissolved. That's not yeah, a thing. Yeah, and that's the last point that I was going to make, Nia, and, and this is something I say to my students all the time. you got to be careful with how we label justices as liberal or conservative. Or, you know, this justice is a strict constructionist, which means that they are conservative. This this justice sees the Constitution or the law as a living document, so they must be liberal, right? Well, Neil Gorsuch, nobody would accuse Neil Gorsuch, okay, of being a liberal, right? But the method he uses, which is a version of being a strict instructionist, known as textualism, will at times produce what politically we would say is a liberal result, right? Um, and he can do that because he's on an institution that is politically independent. He doesn't have to worry about voter, voters, conservative vo voters, holding him accountable and saying, you're not a faithful conservative. Well, Neil, Neil, Neil Gorsuch is a federal court judge. He can go ahead and say, Nah, 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 nah. Okay. <laughs> oh, and I would give money to see that. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, like it. Like he can, right? Because what what's going to happen if if he or like if if Justice Ginsburg votes with the conservatives, conservatives. on something? I mean, what are know, they going to do? They're going to take away her birthday? I don't think so. I mean, in a future that's podcast. not how it works. Yeah, listeners, in a future podcast episode, Nia and I uh, are going to uh, uh, do a summary of the Supreme Court term. And one of the, the big storylines is how John Roberts, okay, voted with the quote-unquote liberals a number of times. In Don't fact, ruin it. Don't ruin okay, it. Okay, but I, I, it's one of the storylines, one of a, a number of storylines. But, you know, what's really fascinating is John Roberts, in this case, okay, 
was in the was in the minority. Okay, he was one of the dissenters. Okay, we just finished a Supreme Court term with one of the lowest number of uh, uh, decided cases since like the mid 1800s, right? And the pandemic affected the overall number. John Roberts was in the minority only like three or four times. That's almost like unheard of, okay? Um, So again, you know, to your point, you know, if John Roberts voted to take this case, he, he had to be thinking, hey, wait a minute here, okay? You know, historically, you know, we've rolled against Native Americans. Okay, let's not blow up, you know, all of the legal and governmental and business systems in the eastern part of Oklahoma, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't matter. Right. Right? He was one vote of nine, right? Yep. Turns out being the guy who has to sign off on the on the <laughs> administrative crap and has to do all the paperwork doesn't get you anything, really. Nope. Except, on you this get to, except you get to sit in the middle and you get to go first. Yes. Yep. That's that's it. That's all it gets you. Yep. And if you're lucky enough to be in the majority, you get to assign the majority opinion. But otherwise, you're just one vote of nine. Yeah. That's that it. That must be in some ways very humbling. <laughs> oh, I bet it is. You know? <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this episode up, but we are going to be back with, I think, a couple more. We just have a couple more. Um, I think we're going to talk about some tax um, yep. Uh, yep. rulings, and, his and we are going to talk about DACA, uh, yes. in case people were wondering. We haven't done that yet, but we are going to talk about DACA, and it's what it means going forward, and then we'll have a little wrap-up. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, hey, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.